Welcome to Q&A Selling Online with answers to questions about creating an online empire, promoting products, or building a brand. Your host, private label and e-commerce entrepreneur, Quinn Amorm. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, we have a managing partner at Global Wired Advisors. Chris Schipferling is here with us today. Uh, he also serves as the head of business development for the same company where he's leveraging his background in sales and digital marketing to grow Global Wired brand. He is not a broker. Chris is a M&A advisor. Chris, That's welcome right. to the show. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Uh, well, it is a pleasure to have you, Chris. So let's start with explain the difference between a broker and an M&A advisor. Yeah, it's a great, great question. Um, we actually, on our website, we... We have a whole page that's uh, that's dedicated to just this topic, you know, the difference between an M and A advisor and a business broker, and you know, really probably to kind of walk you through some of the the I'd say highlights of what the big differences are. Number one, business brokers tend to have a, a background in just sales, right? So mm-hmm. they may have uh, built their own business and then they sold their own company on their own, or they may have used another um, a broker. Um, but that really is their background. So an M and A advisor, their backgrounds are going to be in more what what what's considered investment banking, you know, true institutional investment banking, or maybe middle market investment banking. Um, you know, one a business uh, another another point a business broker is going to be what would be considered a contract employee, where an M and A advisor we're real stakeholders in this firm. You know, the type of structure that we have here is. A partnership. So we have four partners in the firm, and then underneath of that is in our organizational chart is a support staff. Um, you know, we set up our firm to model what would look like, well, what does look like a middle market investment bank um, versus just a brokerage with lots of different brokers that are being paid on a contractual basis. That, frankly speaking, don't have any real any real call it stakeholder. Um, in their own brokerage, right? Um, another one is, you know, this is probably a really big point. A business broker is a really good listing agent where for an M&A advisor, when we're taking a business to market, for us, it's all about the opportunity and it's all about the looking forward versus the looking back. So instead of just saying, hey, here's what the company has done. Here's the SDE. Here's the cash flow. We're going to put a multiple on this and just throw it out there. The way that an M&A advisor looks and views the world, especially in this space, is all about, well, what is this business going to look like when it grows up? And it's extremely important. And that comes with a lot of career experience. And then I also, of course, as you mentioned, my background is a little bit different where I've been involved more in, call it, you know, uh, operating companies. Uh, so operations and sales and marketing um, as an executive leading both you know, companies from 22 million all the way up to 500 million. And so really being able to apply and deploy my experience whenever a, uh, whenever a client wants to sell their business and understanding really where is this business going? So it's almost like looking at it as a three-year plan, right? It's like a three-year business plan that just happens all across the country all the time in large boardrooms. We're just applying that same type of skill set and acumen to your business um, as we go and take it to market. So, you know, business broker is going to be more passive. If someone raises their hand and says they want to sell the business, you're going to be the one probably selling your business and talking to the potential counterparty. With us, we're actively working to understand the company so we can sell it better, almost so we can sell it better than you can, period. 
In fact, we want to know it better than you can. So that way we actually can sell the business. Um, it really is the difference in just somebody who is skilled in knowing their product, like a good, a good salesperson versus someone who just is, isn't, isn't as skilled and doesn't really know the product. So one, uh, another big point I would say for business brokers, they're less selective. Um, you know, for us, we, we have, we have a lot of credibility with the counterparties that we, um, are taking business to counterparties is just a fancy way of saying buyers. So we have a lot of credibility when we go out to our buyer network and we just don't want to bring everything to them. We don't want to just bring anything that we can get our hands on to them. We want to make sure that the businesses that we take to market, we do a lot of vetting prior to taking a business to market. We want to make sure that that business is something that we know our buyer network is going to be very interesting and interested in purchasing because we just don't want to take everything to market. We want to make sure that it's a business that is organized, it's clean, and has a really, really good future ahead of it. So that way, when we present it to our buyer network, the pro forma and opportunity that we're bringing to them is highly believable. And then I would also say just one last point, what you typically find in a business broker versus an M&A advisor is you really got to look at their backgrounds. And so, you know, the backgrounds of a business broker tend to be more entry level. There really is no finance experience, but the, but the backgrounds of an M&A advisor, just, you know, mainly a sell side M&A advisor, you're going to find people who have, like with our partners, have spent majority of their careers in very large institutional banks. Bank of America, Citibank, Deutsche Bank, Wells Fargo, et cetera, working specifically in large institutional capital markets. Um, and so that's really probably if I were to boil it down in, in, a, in a comparison, that's going to be your comparison of what a business broker looks like versus an M&A advisor. I'm glad you, you mentioned that and, and you explained it that way because in my, in my head, I guess everybody has, sees things differently, but in right. my head, when I hear the word, okay, this is a business broker, mm -hmm. I see this is the guy that is going to take a commission out of the sale and he's going to sell it the way I would, right? Yeah. So it, and if, I, if I can do it, I, I often think if I can do something, why am I not going to do it, right? That's correct. Right. And the, and the advisor so is going to do it better than I would. Uh, That's right. We're okay. going to deploy. We're going to deploy a much stronger career skill set to your business, and we're going to be able to position your company in a way that you can't. And we're going to put together offering materials that you won't be able to put together. Um, and I say that not condescendingly. That's just not your career. It's not your job. Mm -hmm. Your job is selling product specifically through Amazon or on some digital platform. And you do that very, very well. Well, because you take that very seriously and you do that really well, we, we, we believe the same thing about our business. So, you know, this is, a, this is a life event. This is one of the largest liquidity events that any person can have in their lifetime. And so we take it very seriously. And so, you know, when we take a business to market, we're going to treat it with a lot of what I would call TLC, just tender love and care, right? <laughs> Versus just taking it, you know, instead of just taking a bowl of spaghetti and throwing it across the wall or hitting the wall and hoping something sticks, we're going to be much more strategic and methodical about your business. And at the end of the day, what that has equated to is more value for your company because you get someone to believe in what you don't necessarily see right now as the business owner and what you need the counterparty to believe about your business to get more value. Nice. And Chris, 
Uh, how big is Global Wired Advisors today? I mean, can you share the volume of uh, yearly deals? That you- yeah, I have no problem. So, you know, as far as support staff goes, um, you know, support staff is at nine. We've been around for two years. Um, our 12-month deal flow has been, uh, we're tracking just above 100 million in deal flow. Um, and so, and we keep growing. You know, the message is resonating with a lot of sellers, which is, you know, again, I go back to, it's time to start treating this process uh, in a much more serious tone. It's time to start thinking about selling your business, not in a way of, well, I hope it sells, but in a way that most middle market and institutional businesses think about selling their companies or divesting their companies. You know, when you, when you take a, a P&G and they are considering divesting one of their many, many, many brands that they have, they don't treat this half-heartedly. You know, they hire and go out and find the best M&A team that they can possibly find and one of the best investment banking teams that they can possibly find to go get them the absolute best value and deal that they can that they can get for that particular brand. So if they treat this the way that they treat this, why is it that lower middle market or let's just call it small business, let's just use normal vernacular, right? Yeah. Call it small business, you know, businesses that are one to 50, 60 million why are they left having to choose a broker? Why can't they also get a great experience? And why can't they also have, have an experience that's just, just like what P&G would get or what Goldman Sachs would put a large business through? Why can't they get that? And so that's really why, that's why we're here. I mean, all of us in this firm, we could be working for you know, Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 companies, but we decided to not do that. We decided to start our own firm to really focus in on this lower middle market and focus in on Main Street to give these small business owners a chance to go through a process that's gonna it's gonna give them a much better exit. And we believe they deserve better. And you focus on things that are digital for businesses that are online, but you have a huge focus on Amazon businesses. Yeah, so I can kind of break it down. So in our firm, we have uh, Providium Group, Providium Advisors, and we have Global Wired Advisors. So Providium Group and Providium Advisors have been around for four years. Providium Group was started by two of my partners, uh, Jason and Joe, as our private equity um, effort. And so mm-hmm. that that uh, firm buys businesses um, within a certain criteria. Then we have Providium. Then Providium Advisors was started about four about around the same time, about four years ago. That effort within our firm is focused more on traditional businesses. So, you know, if you've got a manufacturing company, if you've got, you know, a large franchise of, of, of many different fast food restaurants, um, you know, if you've got only brick and mortar, um, you know, multiple stores within a, within a city, you know, we have Providium Advisors as our traditional M&A arm. Um, and we call that our small business investment bank. But because there was such a large paradigm shift over the course of the past decade that's becoming more rampant now than it was even a decade ago, the paradigm shift is digital, right? Mm-hmm. And so we started Global Wired Advisors because we wanted to have that focus and that effort specifically on digital. So to really break it out, if someone came to us that's on your show and they go, well, wait a minute, I don't really sell a lot on Amazon. You know, I, I actually have more omni-channel or you know, more brick and mortar or wholesale than I do really anything else. We're, we're very agnostic in this firm. You know, we can pretty much handle any business that you bring to us. So to answer your question directly about Global Wired, 
yes, we have a heavier concentration with Amazon businesses, but we also have a very heavy concentration with just e-com and also SaaS content affiliate uh, businesses as well. So, you know, for us taking a business to market because of our backgrounds and the all types of different industries that, that, that we used to either live in or that we actually sold businesses in that specific industry, it allows us to, between Global Wired and Providium, it allows us to be very agnostic in the type of business we take to market. But there's a very specific focus between both. Mm-hmm. And how do I prepare my business to have it ready to sell? Even if, uh, like we talked earlier, some people say that they don't want to sell it ever. But even if I don't want to sell my business, I should have it ready and run right. it as if I want to, right? That's right. I would say a couple things, um, and I'll give you very high-level um, nuggets here that I think are going to be mm. still very helpful. Um, first and foremost, get your financial house in order, period. If you don't know what your COGS are, if you don't know what your net profit is, if you don't know what your cash flow ratio is, if you don't know what your keep naming the different expenses and costs that are involved in your business. If you mm-hmm. don't know those things, you are not running your business properly, even if you never intend to sell your business. So get your financial house in order. There are many, many resources out there that if you are completely financially handicapped, there are plenty of resources to help you get your financial house in order. We have a lot of resources for that. I'm sure you do as well. You know, we have a lot of resources for when folks come to us and say, hey, listen, you know, I know you're requesting all these financial documents that you need to view so you can help us go to market, but I don't have any of them. Okay, well, let's understand where you've been housing all of your financial data. That's number one. Number two, here's two or three people that you can call right now that they will get your, it'll take a couple months, but they're going to get your financial house in order. So I'd say organization is very key financially, and then really just understanding too, really understanding um, and having a very clean supply chain, right? So really understanding, you know, who are you, who are you working with in terms of suppliers? What type of negotiated cost are you getting from them? Um, I would say, you know, that's very important. When you get your financial house in order, though, just to back it up one step, you're able to see everything that's being run through the business. So you're able to understand where I can cut fat, quote unquote, Um, and where I might need to go ahead and start spending a little bit more money. So financially, get your house in order. Secondly, understand the data. Understand all of your operational data, but understand all of your marketing data. Because if you don't understand your marketing data, how are you going to scale the business? Because if you're sitting there going, well, I want to scale and I want to grow, but you have no idea what your ROAS is, you know, what your ACOS is specific to Amazon, if you don't know these simple metrics when it comes to digital marketing, you're just flying blind. You know, when they teach, when they teach you how to become a pilot, um, there's two things that they teach you. One is your uh, visual rating and then uh, one is your instrument, right? And mm-hmm. if, you're fly, if, you're, if you're flying in the cockpit of your business, you can only go so far from a visual perspective. And visual just means that it's really sunny outside and you can see the runway. Well, guess what? It rains a lot. It snows a lot. There's lots of clouds. There's lots of storms in the business. And so you've got to understand how to read everything from an instrument perspective. And those instruments are all of your data metrics that you want to to make sure that you're looking at day in, day out. Um, That's number two. Number three, have a product roadmap. If you don't understand your product roadmap, 
then then start today. <laughs> know where you're going because you don't, especially in today's environment. And again, I could probably wax poetic about this all day long. But the turnover of product now, because consumers are getting more and more antsy with the type of products that they want, and also the saturation that's occurring in mar- in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. You've got to know what the next thing is coming down the pipe. Every large and small and medium-sized business that sees any level of strong success knows exactly where they're going in three to four years. So I give you high level, and that's probably more, I would say, business coaching than anything, but it's get your financial house in order, understand your, your data and your marketing metrics, and then also understand where your company is going from a product perspective. Because if you want to scale up and you say to yourself, okay, I don't want to sell my business, but I want to be, I'm 5 million today and I want to be 15 million tomorrow. Well, you can't do that, right? You can't lick your finger, put it in the air and just hope and pray. Yeah. You got to have a real plan and you've got to have a three to four year plan. And that involves you being able to read all of your metrics and your data properly. And then also planning properly as well. And how about when the seller, there's a lot of sellers out there, and I know that, that they do not know their numbers accurately, right? Yeah. So if I were to trying to sell my business and I would contact you, you also have to look after the person that's going to be interested in buying my business. That's right. So you have to do some due diligence and make sure That's right. that if I told you that I have a ACOS of 15%, you have to go double check that and make sure yeah, you're it's, gonna, not, it's not 200, right? That's right. You're going to invite me to your seller central. I'm going to go and I'm going to confirm all of those data points. That's right. Okay. So you're going to confirm all the data points that I know. And the ones that I don't know, uh, you are going to that's try, right. try to figure those out as well. That's right. And and I think that's another big difference between a, a broker and an M&A advisor. You know, we're going to get our hands very dirty up in the beginning of the process because we want to we want to find everything that we possibly can um, to ensure that the, the process is going to go as smooth as possible. So, you know, without diving into a ton of detail, um, absolutely, we're going to confirm we're going to confirm a lot of things. First, we're going to look at your business as a whole. We're going to make sure that you have everything in order. And if you have everything in order, then we're going to dive in and take a look at all those metrics. Then if any of the, any of the metrics that you're giving us from those given sources. So for instance, you might say, um, I use channel advisor and I use channel advisor to sell in, you know, 16 different marketplaces. Well, we're going to go into channel advisor and we're going to confirm all of those different points to ensure, because what we've also found is, um, there can be, not in all cases, but there can be a large difference between what you tell me when we first have a conversation versus when I actually get under the hood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so obviously I need to get under the hood and I just I need to see exactly what I'm working with. Um, and some of that is just, I don't blame, I don't blame any small business or even any, you know, medium to larger size business for not necessarily knowing all their, all their numbers. They're busy. They're busy just trying to keep, uh, sometimes it's just the house of cards up. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I get it. You know, time flies and it can be di- very difficult to get organized. Um, but yes, we're going to go underneath the hood. If there, are, if there are things that need to be cleaned up, we have plenty of resources to help that particular seller get cleaned up. And, you know, that's another difference with us. If you're not ready to go to market yet, we're not going to force you to go to market. We're not salesmen. Mm-hmm. Right. We're very um, we're almost we're basically like high level consultants. 
And so we're going to come to, into your business and really understand what your business represents from A to Z. And then we're going to see what needs to be cleaned up. And then we're going to prep you for market. Okay. Oh, man, I like this one. You know, there was a TV show called Love It or List It. Yeah. Yeah. So it had to do with people, should you sell your house or keep it? Yeah. So you somehow you could let me know, hey, by the way, you shouldn't sell yet. You should keep it until you reach certain levels or that's right. That, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. We're gonna give you we're gonna give you a full view. Uh, we just did that. We actually just did that this morning with a with a uh, with a potential client. You know, we gave him two views of what it would look like to go to market in January and what it would look like based on his current ratio and, and growth trajectory, yeah, yeah. what it probably would look like to go to market in next January of 2021. And we were able to really give clear distinctions between 2020 and 2021, but we also walked them through the risks that could potentially happen in 2020. That's also another thing in which, you know, we can get into in a little bit, but that's another thing that we've been trying to, it's not a fear of missing out, but we have been beating the drum a little bit more on warning folks about the macroeconomic issues that could come up in 2020. between the election that's going to happen next November and a year from now, um, and then also the potential of a recession that is inevitable here in the United States, call it in the next year, year and a half. So mm-hmm. we've just been warning, kind of giving our view, our macro, macroeconomic view and warnings to the, the potential sellers. But again, what we do is we give the facts. We give the facts about your business and we give the facts about the marketplace. And we want you to decide what you believe is best for your business. Okay. And Chris, there's something that I'm thinking here about uh, selling Amazon businesses. Uh, do you manage the, the process or help me manage the process of the sale yes. um, on Amazon and outside of Amazon? I mean, yes, uh, as far as the migration. Yes. Yes. That's yes. And, and how about, for example, when Amazon says that you should, for example, have only one account and as an existing seller, if I want to yeah. buy a business, uh, do you help with that process of basically you have to notify Amazon? I'm going to have yes. the same IP. These are different entities. All that is taken That's care right. Of. Yeah. Without, without getting into too much specifics yeah. at the moment, yes, there is a, there's a very specific process that you have to go through uh, with Amazon. And what we've learned is transparency is key. Um, Amazon, as you know, does not like to get blindsided Mm -hmm. and their immediate reaction is knee jerk and you get suspended. And so as long as you, as long as you show transparency, um, everything is, everything is okay. And, you know, again, without getting into specifics, which we can get into with any of your viewers who want to have a follow-up call with us. Um, you know, there's a couple other points I would also make that, um, uh, that are really important to that actual process, but uh, but yes, to answer your question, absolutely, we do help with that, and we help we help with the migration period. Okay, and now thinking of things that help multiply the the, the value of a business, uh, I know certain things is if you sell only on Amazon or if you sell outside of Amazon, but there's one thing that I I honestly don't know, and it's the type of corporation that you have. Mm-hmm. And the country where you incorporated yes. is that a big difference? Yes, yes, okay. it is. Well, corporation not as much because most sales that occur um, are asset sales, and so 
effectively what they're buying is is the assets, but you're leaving your LLC, S Corp, C Corp, whatever that might be. If you have a C Corp, it's more than likely going to be a stock sale because you're a larger entity. You don't you don't become a C Corp as someone who's running a business that's only a million or, or two million dollars. Most of those are going to be sole proprietor proprietors, they're going to be LLCs, they're going to be S Corps. That's typically what we deal with. Um you know, C corps are going to be something that's going to be a much larger enterprise and, and involves a different process. But for this, it is an asset sale. Um, so that doesn't necessarily matter. And then the other question you were asking me was about corporation, but then also about what was the, oh, the country. Oh, oh, the country. Yes. The country does matter um, because of the SBA process. So, um, you know, we have the small business administration here in the United States and they offer a loan for, that's very advantageous for someone wanting to buy a business where you only have to put between, you know, five to 20% down, but the company that you're purchasing, the entity that you're purchasing must be a U.S. entity for at least two years. Mm. And so that matters. So, you know, if someone's buying a company, um, and I'm, I'm not positive how Canada works, but, you know, internally, but if someone's buying a Canadian company like your company and they're from the U.S., they're going to have to try and utilize other, other debt utilities, um, whether that's personal capital, um, that could be an investor pool that they pull together. Um, you know, it's difficult, very rarely, but also potentially a conventional loan. Um, you know, there's, there's other debt utilities they've got to exercise and, and truth be told, a lot of times what would happen is there would be a little bit more of a larger, what's called seller note. And so if you're familiar with a seller note, if you say your business is worth a million, you're in Canada, I'm in the U S I can't use SBA. I've got 200,000 of personal capital. I can, I can give you, I've got $500,000 of investor pool or maybe a conventional loan or a HELOC, which is un, un, unheard of but I've got another debt utility that I'm, I'm using. And then there's at that point a $300,000 Delta. Well, that 300,000, I'm going to probably go to you and say, Hey, I want to turn this into a seller note. So you affect effectively, effectively as the seller are assuming the debt. Hmm. So you're the lender at that point. And so you and I will work out terms together, um, which tend to have specific terms, but we'll work out terms together and a certain amount of time for me to pay you back. Okay. What if I have a business and I want to keep part of it? Do you have those kind of deals where yes. the owner is gets two other partners come in? Okay. Yeah, it doesn't typically happen in smaller deals. Um, you know, where we tend to see that is with deals that are um, uh, have more of an appetite for private equity or capital investment. Um, sometimes it ha sometimes it does happen in smaller deals. So I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. It just doesn't. It happens more often in larger deals. What happens is you've got, uh, you know, your company that you're running and you're capital constrained. So you just really need a capital partner or a funded sponsor, right? Mm -hmm. You need someone to come in and really help provide capital for that company. So what they might do is they might negotiate, okay, we're going to buy 80% of your company. It's going to be a liquidity event for you. So I'm going to pay you the 80%. We're going to set up new company. You're going to roll 20% into the new company but I'm now going to effectively be the bank as the new, as the new uh, majority owner. Yeah. And so, yeah, you'll roll the equity. And then the whole idea with that is there's going to be a second exit event at some point. So in order to find that partner that wants to take chips off the table for you, 
they have to believe that there's going to be a second event. That's how they're going to make their money. No one really ever, it's extremely rare, but no one ever really just buys a business to say, okay, well, I'm effectively buying an, an, an annuity with a partner. <laughs> That's not how it works. They're buying something because they know I'm going to have a second event. It's going to be a lot larger than this event. And I want you to come along for the ride because you've got some, you've got a skill set that I, I need and I want to hold on to. So how about uh, if you deal with a lot of Amazon and FBA businesses, you know that most sellers tend to be, they want to be secret about oh, what their business is, the name of their business. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm guilty of that as well. Yeah. I don't tell people what the name of the business is or you try to, you know, just yeah. so, just so um, if someone sees that you're somewhat successful, they don't try to copy your products. That's right. So that means that everybody that is trying to sell or buy a business uh, using Global Wired Advisors, they will have to sign NDAs? Absolutely. In fact, we've got, we've got several different NDAs that we use depending on the situation. So for instance, you know, when I'm looking at your numbers and all of your detail, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you a, a mutual NDA. Um, but then if you're a buyer wanting to look at a business, I'm going to send you a specific NDA um, that has a bit more stricter and stronger language around what you're viewing and what you can and mm-hmm. can't do with the information. Now, we do have clients at times who are very strict about the marketing of their business and the names that are being used. So, you know, what we'll do in that case is we will respect that privacy and what we'll, we won't disclose any names of the business and names in the business mm. until until you get serious with someone under a what's called a letter of intent, an LOI. Yeah. So once, once you've signed an LOI with someone who really wants to buy your business, at that point, they're doing due diligence. So they're going to have to see the name. They're going to have to see what's involved in the business. So you know, if you never want your name or names to be disclosed, then you never want to sell your business. <laughs> but there's, there's ways to protect yourself and keep that privacy all the way up to a point where uh, almost, almost right before the, like a couple months before the business is closed. Okay. How about when, when somebody tries to sell a business and let's say they don't use your services mm-hmm. and there, there's stuff out there where you kind of can try to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, one thing that everybody gets is the tire kickers. And I actually love this term tire kickers. Yeah. It happens all the time. Yes. We, that's, we get them a lot. Yeah. But I don't, right. Yeah. You deal with them and I don't, or do no, I have I, to do? Okay. Never. Nope. Okay. We, we have a, we have a whole process that we use that, to make sure that we know, we know who's serious. And, and, and a lot of it too, it goes back to, it goes back to our career experience. I mean, we've been in this and we've been in finance for so long and we've owned our own businesses. You know, that's the other piece about our, our company, which is unique. You know, I mentioned about the institutional investment banking process, but at some point in our careers, all of us have sat at all different sides of the table. We've been buyers and we've been sellers of businesses and we've sold businesses. And so we get the process really well. We have ways, um, we have ways to filter out the people who are serious and not serious. You know, we ask, we ask the right questions, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and we only we only will put you on the phone as a as a as a seller um, when someone is getting real serious about actually purchasing the company. That's perfect. How about let's talk about uh, here numbers and money. Uh, there's two things I want to know. I guess the, the audience wants to know. I'm trying to ask for the audience, of course. If, for the record, uh, 
I'm not talking to Chris here because I'm trying to sell a business. I, <laughs> but because uh, often when I, I hear a podcast and you're there, sometimes I used to think, oh, maybe they're trying to sell the business. And that's the reason why Chris is there, right? That's right. But one is, what are some of the average multipliers that I can see? Yeah. And the other one is, for example, what what do your services cost the seller? Yeah, so um, I'll tackle I'll tackle number one first. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as far as multiples, we are seeing multiples go up. You know, the average multiple that's out there um, lives in a world of about two point two to two point eight. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what you'll see going to market is three to four. But what happens is a lot of what's called retrading occurs in this world. Um, buyers will negotiate you down effectively. Now, as far as our multiples, our multiples are averaging um, about a turn or a turn and a half higher than that. So what I mean by that is we are, we are above average in terms of multiple, both going to market and then also closing. And there's very specific reasons for that because one, you know, our vetting process is much different. And then two, um, we know what to look for in a business to know what a buyer is going to think about the company and so, again, it goes back to being more selective in terms of who we take to market mm-hmm. um, and that credibility because the businesses we're taking to market, they're good, they're, they're good businesses with very strong growth trajectory and growth plan. Um, so as far as multiple goes, again, you know, and I'll give this example too. There is a very, very big difference. And I say very, very, not lightly. There truly is a very, very big difference between only Amazon business and then a business that's 50% off Amazon and 50% on Amazon. The multiple is going to look much different because the risk downside on Amazon is much higher because you don't own the data. You don't own your space that you're living in, right? You're just Mm -hmm. renting space from Jeff Bezos. And in the process, he's getting very, very wealthy. But when you have your own e-commerce site, when you have and really, it's more for 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 your own e-commerce site. When you have your own e-commerce site and you're driving those sales and more and majority sales through that channel and through that medium, you're gonna have a much more valuable business. So there's a clear difference. And as far as tackling number two, as far as what we charge, so you know, I, I, I hate to I hate to push this off, and I won't. I'll tackle it a little bit. But every business is so different, and the way that we run our process. Um, there's a lot of work that we put into upfront versus just taking your business to market in a week. Mm-hmm. You know, we truly understand your business from, from soup to nuts. And so that's an important piece of the process for us. Um, so there's a lot of investment. So, you know, it just really depends. We will probably charge a very small upfront fee. Um, but there's a reason for that. And there's a, it's, it's mainly because the investment and time that we put into preparing your business to extrapolate more value. And we believe our services are a more premium service. It's a more premium offering um, that we're giving the marketplace. And we've been able to prove that through the closed deals that we've now been able to memorialize. So I would say this, everything's different. You know, if you're, uh, if any of your viewers are interested, even in just having a small conversation about going to market, I'm happy to have, you know, conversations individually with every person who raises their hand and I can walk them through exactly what those costs would look like. You know, I'd say we're, you know, our, the feedback we've been given is that we're as far as what's called success fees, because that's where a lot of 
well, in this space, a lot of brokers make their money off of success fees. We're pretty much at parity in terms of in terms of the success fees. Okay, and I actually have, uh, according to what you said, I have a really good thing. Uh, how could I put this? Let's just say it this way: uh, talking about the value offered versus what the cost is. Last year, I changed accounting. Yes. And I went to one where I had, there's a premium and there, there's a big premium, right? But I decided, okay, let's, let's try and see why there's a premium. And Chris, let me just say that that premium had a multiplier of return that I had not seen before. That's right. So That's right. paying for the premium and I studied accounting, so it's not something I like. I, I really dislike accounting, so I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want anything to do with numbers, not even my own. But I didn't think that there would be such difference because of a premium service. Right. But I decided to try and uh, I'm not going back. This is really, really impressive. So yeah. I, I understand. Yeah, so you get it and you understand. And, and, and a lot of times it's difficult to get someone to really understand the value because it's, it's like proving a negative, right? You can't really prove a negative. It's very difficult. So, you know, for us, it's um, anybody who's been through our process, pretty much like you've been able to now, in hindsight, look at this accounting firm, mm-hmm. they, they, they say the same thing about our, our process. It was a value add process. And so, you know, again, just to reiterate, because I don't want any of your viewers to get caught up in an upfront fee. Um, all, all of this is customized to the business. And it's absolutely something that uh, that we have lots of conversations with our clients with. And we always arrive to and we always arrive to a very good place with our all of our clients. And then at the end, we arrive to an even better place because they're very happy with our services. Okay. Now I have one more question when it comes to the other side of the buyer side. Yeah. There's a buyer that's very interested in buying a business or per, let's say I want to buy, I want to buy lots of businesses. Yeah. I, I, there, is there such thing as a business buying addiction? Uh, well, um, you know, money tends to make that addiction not so strong. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> if you, if you have lots and lots of money, then you can, you can have a very strong addiction to buying businesses. Um, and that's my point. Uh, if somebody has a business buying addiction and now they need their cash flow is being used somewhere else, mm-hmm. uh, do you offer such, uh, let's say how to get, uh, the funding for the funding for those businesses? Yeah, we have, we have resources, you know, our firm, our firm doesn't offer debt services, um, yet. That's something that we've toyed around with for the future, but, um, we do not offer any debt services. And so, but we have resources for that. Mm-hmm. You know, we also make sure that buyers are proving their finances with us. So that way we understand where their fun, where their funding is coming from. Uh, before they, so for protecting the sellers, we want to make sure that the the buyers can prove their funding to ensure that you know the seller is is not wasting their time with a certain buyer. Absolutely. So, um, but no, we do not offer that. But we have plenty of resources to point people in lots of different directions. All right. Now there was uh, something I heard on a podcast before that I had never thought about before, mm-hmm. and it was the fact that somebody had their communication, uh, the company communication on personal emails. Mm. And that was, I guess, during the sale, that was, um, that was a big deal. 
And, and what other things are out there that people don't think of? Let's, I, I never oh. thought of uh, the communication would be important. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, I think that that's important just because, you know, when you're flipping the company over to the new company, you know, you typically have a server or you've got, mm. you know, some email provider and it's business email. It's not going to be your Gmail or AOL that you're communicating business, business communications or, you know, any type of fiscal information going back and forth through your personal um, because you want to transfer all those email addresses to the new to the new client. Right. Yeah. Um, they're no longer yours. So I can see where that became a little bit of a hang up. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a hump that paralyzes the entire deal. I think there's ways to get around that. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, you know, taxes are something that's coming up. Um, I would say that's probably a big one, you know, in terms of the tax liability of the company and how to negotiate, you know, with the with the new buyer, um, any type of tax liability that might be sitting there for the past, you know, two or three years. As you know, as an Amazon seller, there are certain states that are getting highly aggressive when it comes to tax collection, and so that's definitely something that we're happy to talk through um, in detail with our clients. We just did it. We just did it the other day. Um, we were uh, we were sitting down with a client, meeting face to face. They were a much larger larger business, and you know, that was a concern of theirs, which was, you know, Hey, I'm going to sell this company. And I, I know I've got some tax liability when it comes to tax collection from certain States. How are you going to handle it? And we were able to give them a very good thorough answer based on experience. And so any of your listeners, if that's a concern, you know, we're going to be able to sit down with them, walk them through exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly what they need to prepare and start thinking about uh, before we actually get to a close. Yeah, I bet it is a concern for a lot of people. Absolutely. Chris, what was the biggest deal you, you've ever been involved with? Oh, gosh, that's a that's a great, oh, my gosh, that's a great question. Um, largest deal. Well, we're not allowed to disclose any information. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the largest deal, I will say that Global Wired Advisors, we did our, we were very quick to do our first eight-figure deal. Um, from, and I say quick, the meaning from our inception, uh, from when we started to, you know, how long it took for us to get our first eight figure deal. I'll, I'll leave it there just because it gets real hairy when you disclose any type of information. Yes. Um, but yes, we were, we were very quick to, to execute on our first eight figure deal. And a lot of it just goes back and ties back to the, it ties back to, to our backgrounds and it ties back to our messaging as well, I would believe. So, mm-hmm. all right. Now, what are some uh, tips or advice that you want to give the listeners? What's something that they should start doing today? Some departing advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, I'd go back to what I said in the beginning. Get your financial house in order. Get your metrics in order. Get your data in order. Um, you know, I would start also thinking about what it looks like to rotate and peel away from Amazon. I could talk mm-hmm. for days about that and I won't do it here, but any of your listeners that want to have that conversation, we've got very good resources to help you peel away and rotate off of Amazon and begin that process today. Because I would say from a risk management perspective, number one, number two, from a valuation perspective, it's one of the best things that you can do for your business going forward. Mm-hmm. So I would say, I would say, yes, you know, outside of what I said earlier, getting your house in order, the one thing they can do now is 
start thinking about and creating a plan to rotate away from Amazon. And if they need resources for that, we've got them. And uh, one more before we go. Uh, what is, is there a big difference if I had, let's say, I have a one brand product, right? A brand that's, that's one product. And let's say it's a vitamin C serum that's making half a million per month on Amazon. Is it better to have this one vitamin C doing half a million or five different products on Amazon doing the exact same? Well, I would always say it's better to have more um, within a brand, right? Yeah. And where it makes sense within a brand. The reason is with the serum, you may have just squeezed all the juice out of that lemon. So when you're handing it over to uh, a buyer, they might go, well, where am I going to go from here? And you only have maybe one, two, or three things that they can do to kind of go from there, quote unquote. Hmm. But when you've got a real brand, I mean, now you're starting to talk about, okay, I've got a brand here. It's a proven brand. People care about it. They don't just care about my vitamin C. They care about all of the different vitamins that I'm selling. And so now I can actually do something with this. So I can take it from here and I can build out a three-year product roadmap that goes to here within that same brand. Now I can start thinking about, well, I know 77% of all e-commerce sales and vitamins is run through Amazon, but is there a real opportunity for me to start running this through my own website and also maybe taking this brand either overseas or potentially wholesale? So when you have a real brand with, a, with, with a several SKUs, you've got just a deeper war chest and a deeper arsenal than just saying, yeah, I've got a vitamin C serum. Now, what I would probably do with the vitamin C serum is I'd probably go to one of your competitors or, or a strategic partner and I would say, hey... I've got this vitamin C serum. It's crushing you on Amazon right now. So you want to buy this because you want to buy my market share. That's what you want to do. Hmm. So that's kind of, I would say, if you want to try and distinguish between the two and you're asking me a pointed question about what you would do, that's how I would view both of them. I mean, anytime you can build, especially vitamins, what we've seen in vitamins is, is, is genuinely, in, in some cases, mind-blowing, the, the growth. It's, yeah. it's incredible. So, you know, we've seen businesses where, you know, they had, they had the vitamin C serum or whatever, <laughs> then they just added another and another and another, and every single one does, I mean, every single one explodes. You know, we've seen that before. And vitamins, their growth trajectory is so high, um, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible what you can do as you add, the pro add to the product roadmap. And that's one of those that's very hard to get started in. So if you're starting today, you want to launch a vitamin C serum, good luck. But if you already, good luck. Have, yeah. if you right. already have the snowball, uh, that's right. it, it's easier. Yeah, it is. You're exactly right. Very good. Chris, how can we find you? How can we hear more about you? Yeah. And yes. Great questions. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll probably house something I'm, I'm assuming on, on your website or in your podcast notes. But aside yes. from that, um, go to our website. We have a, a complimentary valuation tool. That website is globalwiredadvisors.com. You can just type it in Google. Even if you just typed in Global Wired, I believe we still come out on top. Um, so go to, go to, go to our website, um, fill out a complimentary valuation tool. Um, I will, once someone does that, um, I will actually follow up with them. Uh, yeah. If you type in just global wired, we come up number two at least. So it's easy go. to find us. Um, if you fill out our valuation tool, it will automatically email you the valuation range based on some data. 
we've actually built in in the data, depending on what you choose, whether you say I'm a reseller, I'm a diversified retailer, I'm e-com only, I'm a drop shipper, or I'm Amazon only, hmm. um, we feed in data to, uh, to give you a different valuation range depending on what you tell us. So it's a pretty unique tool. That's, you know, obviously we will get the, we will get the email. I'll send you a follow-up email asking you for a consultation. But if you ignore my consultation messages, then no harm, no foul. You get a free valuation. Um, we also have, do have a consult. We do offer a complimentary consultation where we'll get on the phone with you um, and talk through just your business and the market and, you know, what it would look like to sell your business. Again, all of this is complimentary until you get to a place with us where we send you an engagement letter everything for us is complimentary. And, uh, you know, we love to help too. We love to give good advice. We love to give business owners advice um, on what they should and shouldn't do with their business to, uh, to help them prepare for a good exit. There you go. Thank you so much, Chris. And you guys heard it. You will have also this on the show notes, the links to Global Wired, globalwiredadvisors.com, right. uh, Facebook. And of course, it will be under QA Sunday Online forward slash Chris Shipferling. Perfect. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> there you go. Chris. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you I, so I, much. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. You too. Thank you.